0: Swallows of the South is a proud member of the RPG Academy Network. Hello, and welcome to Swallows of the South. I'm Quinn Wilson, storyteller. This week we bring you a very special interview with James D'Amato of the One Shot Podcast Network. We discuss his Kickstarter for the Dungeon Dome which is in its final three days on Kickstarter right now. So if you haven't, please go check it out. It is a streaming project that mixes Dungeons & Dragons with the panache and style of professional wrestling in an incredibly unique and very exciting way. Unfortunately, our interview ran into some severe technical issues, so we are missing both parts from the front and the back end of the interview. I am presenting to you what I was able to salvage. It was just a little bit too much to be able to tweak it and save the piece as a whole. We cut in just as I'm asking James to explain some things around his ideas for how to make the dungeon dome work and why he's choosing some of the specifics of the format he's chosen and unfortunately we cut out as we are comparing some notes around gming similar style projects as i am running the gamma crawl x project over on the system mastery podcast but it does cut out before i was able to ask him some questions from the community and he was able to give us one final pitch for the product So, I hope that you enjoy what we were able to save of the interview. It was a really good time, and James was an absolutely wonderful guest. I wanted to thank him again for coming on and for being one of the major points of inspiration for having me start this podcast in the first place, which is a big part of why I asked him to come onto the show. If what you hear sounds at all interesting to you, or you're interested in checking out that mix of professional wrestling and Dungeons and Dragons, Please go back. The Dungeon Dome in its final days. You won't regret it. I promise. Yeah, especially when you're doing something that's that novel and sort of experimenting with the limitation and structures of your format, having to kitbash something like a remote recording is a, is a pretty significant compromise. I know now that I have the people around me
1: necessary who who are, you know, excited and engaged to do this project. So there's no reason to throw away my idea. Like I really I was being very cautious and very frightened because I'm, I'm frightened and anxious about the future generally. But that feeling isn't going to go away. Like there are very few likely circumstances that will banish my anxieties about the future and i think that's true for a lot of people and ultimately like i i didn't want that to be the reason that i brought this project to life in a way that wasn't going to please me so i i took a big weird risk and like tried to throw this project together and so far it's been working out like we are at the time of this recording like 75 to 76 percent funded and if uh things continue to go well like we could even hit 80 by the end of the week which would be very very cool and like the numbers are behind us like it seems like this project is going to fund and you know i haven't even begun to emotionally
0: process the idea that i will be uh full-time in this (laughs) so yeah i imagine that until you're there you uh i know i personally would want to avoid beginning to process that before i knew i was there because uh getting dragged back into the mire of not being there would be uh somewhat difficult but yeah you guys are definitely in a very very strong place especially looking at that final 72 hour kick that kickstarters always get yeah if you're in in a strong position like you are now, you guys will definitely hit that target, which is super, super exciting. Which isn't to say, people who are listening right now, that you shouldn't jump on and back this because please, for the love of God, do. I
1: I need uh, like, I think around 170, 180 backers at the base $25 level, you know, at this point to make the project happen. And the project only happens if those people actually decide to do it. You know, it's very easy uh, for momentum of any project to collapse before that finish line. So if it's like we'll get into talking about the Dungeon Dome more um, so you have a clearer idea of what it is. But like if it sounds like a thing that interests you, like back as soon as you can, because it will be a huge help to seeing it actually come to life.
0: Yeah. Kickstarters are a day to day marathon. It's not a sprint. So everything every day is a huge, huge help. With that in mind, let's get a little bit more into this. I can be a little bit of a theoretical person, so I might ask you some questions that you haven't taken yet. But also, you might have been asked these questions. I'm not sure.
1: Well, I'm, I'm very excited. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to do this interview with you, Quinn, is, like, I know that you have a, a deeper sense of,
0: like, what the project is than other people. So I'm I'm very excited. In terms of format, why are you opting to go with something like a live stream? There are a lot of venues for things like actual play. Podcasts are obviously a very, very popular mm-hmm. venue. There are also very popular streams like critical role and such but something that involves this level of narrative and style it it really seems like there is a lot of pageantry that this requires and that live streaming in a sense requires that you front end a lot of that work Mm -hmm. it almost necessitates that you make it incredibly tight where in other formats people might have a little bit more give for some of that pageantry what is it exactly that that makes you feel like a stream is the best way to tell this story or these stories
1: so i i will say that i i don't know that a stream is is the best way for me to present the general story behind uh the dungeon dome i, I think For pretty much any RPG campaign right now, I would feel more comfortable uh, presenting it as a podcast, simply because podcasts are what I understand and what I'm comfortable with. But streaming has pretty clearly proven that it is an important aspect of games related entertainment that's uh, not just role-playing games uh, it's video games too mm-hmm. and more so uh, but role-playing games like uh streams like critical role and role play and hyper rpg have definitely defined that there is a market of people out there who want to not just listen to but watch games streamed on the internet so I as a person who owns a games entertainment company uh OneShot mm-hmm. I know that it's important that we explore this medium and understand this medium. We might never eclipse the audience that we have for our podcasts uh through streaming, but I want if there's an audience there like I I want to connect with them. I I think there are a lot of things that we do at OneShot that would be better served if we were in as many places as possible. And Dungeon Dome is kind of an experimental project to begin with. So I want to be experimenting in a new space um, and growing more comfortable with that space as part of uh this project just because it is th- there are a lot of new things that i'm playing with and that prospect really excites me that said i think streaming itself the fact that you are in front of a live audience presents opportunities that podcasts just don't absolutely as podcasters like you know Quinn you and i have the advantage of editing things and you're right that mm-hmm. lends itself to pacing very well but we can't have and a live audience react to the way that we're playing and change the game through a podcast. Mm-hmm. It's a very slow process. Like, you know, on campaign we get dear minoc letters which can have minor effects on the campaign and world that we're existing in. And for a while we were accepting like some audience suggestions for various things that were happening uh with like the Tony Vornsky character and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there were ways for the audience to interact with us, but nowhere near the scale and the immediacy of a streamed project. And I think uh, because streaming has proven itself like so critical to the role-playing market, over the next year to three years, you are going to see an explosion of games designed with mechanics for streaming in mind.
0: Mm, absolutely.
1: If Wizards of the Coast is not working on that expansion, then... Like, I I will be shocked. You know, Adam Koble has already publicly put out interest in designing games for streaming. And it's something that Kat and I, as designers, if we don't understand it at all, like everything that we do is theoretical. So with the Dungeon Dome, I I want to try and discover those mechanics.
0: Right. Understanding the conceits of the format and what makes it tick is very different in practice as opposed to observing or... We're taking a more theoretical approach. I will also say there are two things that stuck out to me about talking about branching and exploring the the streaming format. And the first is that I know that you, as well as a pretty significant portion of your stable of performers, have improv backgrounds, which is something I also have. I'm pretty ingrained in the improv scene down here in San Diego. And there is something about the back and forth that you get when you're performing in front of a live audience that definitely does shape the way that a, a performance or a narrative develops that is substantively different than when you're creating something in a smaller cloistered Mm -hmm. space and there is a certain level of energy or electricity or audience performer chemistry that can emerge there that can be very very important and unique and difficult to replicate so i think that that's very interesting
1: Oh, abs- I was about to say, like, absolutely, that that is a very keen observation. And improv is a huge inspiration um, because, you know, we in improv have structured games uh, that bring the audience in as a participant at different mm-hmm. levels. Um, and that's essentially what we're chasing after in these streaming game projects is finding a way to structure that audience interaction and audience involvement in a way that serves the piece
0: itself. Absolutely. I've talked a little bit before about the interplay between role-playing and improv before, and something I think that is often understated or not discussed a lot about improv is that a lot of improv games, especially if you're looking at stuff like longer-form improv forms, a lot of that is about understanding and manipulating things like genre convention and tone in a way that requires a relatively nuanced understanding of what makes a thing tick to be able to emulate that and make it work in real time, which since you're going for something that is incredibly emulative of an extant genre, I think that that's something to to bear in mind, I guess. like, How much genre deconstruction have you consciously done as you've been looking at preparing something like this in order to figure out how it ticks as something that you would then spin out into this improvisational game space?
1: Um, so I don't think... I, I can't claim to be like a wrestling expert. Um, I'm somebody who watched as uh, as a kid and sort of got back into the genre as an adult. Uh, primarily through listening to discussions on different podcasts, uh, War Rocket Ajax was a big inspiration for me to re-examine wrestling. And I've watched a few matches since then. And I have found things that I really like about the wrestling format and things that I think really work. And I've found a bunch of things. Things that I don't like as much and I sort of want to work out of it. And I think the big takeaway that, that I've come up with is like the basic format of Storytelling played out through a particular style of interaction. A storytelling told exclusively through combat and like structured and constructed matches, uh, to amplify different emotional conflicts between performers. Like that is something that is my jam that, that I really like. And I appreciate a gladiatorial story and it is. It, it, it's something that is is playing with that. So I've deconstructed uh, sort sort of like the base levels of the genre and like you know wrestling works by having a heroic figure and a like antagonist figure clashing at each other and is amping up a match or building excitement for a match by having characters talk to the audience directly or talk to their opponent through a performance at the audience that's that's something I absolutely want to keep because re- wrestling is playing at sports conventions in that you know it's interviewing boxers before a match or or interviewing like a quarterback about how they felt they performed in that game or what they see for their team moving okay. forward in a season. It's finding ways to take those sports storytelling moments that we've sort of crafted through our sports media and amplify them. You know, the fact that like this is taking place in a universe with magic and where there are very little limitations on on what people can do and there's almost no limit to the stakes that any given story can have. I I want to explore like the impossible space more so than I want the conventional space. Like I want the conventional format to be like an outline for me, but I really want to like invest myself in things that could never happen and things that can only happen in a role-playing game, things that can only happen in a fantasy universe and things that frankly can only happen in a streaming RPG space.
0: Okay, so there's a lot of the aesthetic of wrestling that is being used along with some of those genre conceits, but it's not necessarily a formal replication of wrestling in terms of the actual format or overall thrust of the project. That actually brings me pretty neatly into the next big question that I wanted to ask you, which is, what is it specifically about this project and format that is really pushing you to develop and tell this as opposed to something else
1: i think it's the challenge of it and i I think it's that there are a lot of different moving parts to it this is the sort of campaign that if i were to run it at a table for for just me and my friends like wouldn't work because i would be the only person who got to appreciate it Not everybody's in every match and the storyline is something that Mm -hmm. really only I would be able to follow because the matches would be happening between specific groups and specific players. And like a lot of the moments depend on players being surprised by twists and turns as the story progresses. So I like the idea that if I were to try and run this as a game somewhere else in a different context, it, it wouldn't work. And the only place it really has a potential to work is like on this stage and in this format. I don't know. There's like an ugly duckling aspect there of like this, this can only happen here. Um, so that's why this is the project that I want to do. Like it would be a lot easier for me to, you know, go to cat and be like, Hey, let, let's kickstart our zelda game that we've wanted to do for a while because that only requires you me and one other person but the dungeon dome you know it gets it gets more of my friends paid because more of them get to come in as characters and performers hell yeah getting
0: paid is always good yeah exactly paying artists is always good um (laughs) so like yes exactly i mean fuck the capitalist pigs but hey
1: man the artist. We live in that capitalist yeah. society, and and we gotta. We can't just be starving within artists. within the We have to. <laughs> we have to pay our artists exactly. Um, so like that that appeals to me a lot. But I think the big thing uh, that made like why I want to run a wrestling story is well, one of the deep motivators uh, was me watching a review of one of my favorite Shakespeare plays, uh, like in the last year. And seeing it and uh, having recently gotten back into wrestling, looking at that play and going, this is the perfect wrestling storyline. Like, interesting. If, if the scenes, uh, that were character dialogues, if instead they were played out as physical combats between two fighting performers, it would be amazing. This is, would be a perfect story, but. I know that no wrestling promotion is going to adapt a Shakespeare play. Um, just because it's like, it's a Venn diagram that there's probably some overlap, but I, I don't think enough to justify somebody to like hire performers and go through what I'm sure is the crazy insurance procedures that you have to do in order to oh, a yeah. wrestling promotion. So. It's it's something that like I knew there's no way I'm ever going to get that kind of storytelling unless I do it myself. And that was a huge motivator for me to like find a context that I could accomplish that. And like, obviously, I I don't have the money or, or the knowledge to put together a wrestling promotion, but I do know how to run a role playing game really well. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. that uh, doing it here is is a way for me to get at that story that I want to tell in the way that I want to tell it without, you know, the constraints of a realistic universe not supporting my
0: weird, whimsical idea. That's actually really, really interesting. And what you were saying initially about this being a format that can only be really appreciated or understood in this format brings me back to something that you were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier. Which is the fact that, from a formal or interactive standpoint, something that seems very interesting to me, again, being an excessively theoretical person who loves anthropology and sociolinguistics, is that role-playing games are inherently dialogic. They are about the interplay between people. They are a conversation, And usually, that conversation is bound to whoever sits at a table. And when you do something like podcast, that changes that dynamic in a substantive way. And in my opinion, if you want to be very successful at something like podcasting or actual play, you need to be mindful of the fact that part of that dialogue is the audience. Something like a stream, however really, really expands that dialogic element in a way that I don't think you can leverage in another format, especially in something where that format is required to appreciate the unfolding narrative.
1: I mean, yeah, it, it's it's the big X factor in, in this whole thing, because like listening to a project like Swallows or a project like Campaign, you know, people are, are experiencing the game that they wouldn't otherwise be able to experience. And that transforms the role-playing experience in and of itself. It, it exports it mm-hmm. in like a, a, an interesting way, a way that uh, when these games, you know, were designed and when they sort of came into themselves and what a role-playing game would actually be, people didn't really anticipate or envision that. But streaming a game like actually opens the door where somebody in the audience is a real live active participant in that game
0: absolutely and I,
1: I think up to I, I won't say up to now because i'm sure that there are other streams out there that i don't know about that are experimenting with this in the similar way that i am but i i think most actual play projects uh be they streamed or be they pod, uh, podcasts are doing a very traditional thing. They're playing a traditional game in a traditional format, and just putting a camera or a microphone in front of that so other people can experience it. And yeah, there are a lot of projects that like are are lightly opening the door to the audience, allowing them to like. I know OCD Cast. I think they do uh, streams where they allow players to contribute bits to the stream, and if they do that, uh, they can force a player to re-roll something so it is a moment that like can completely change the game like a player crits or, or the monster crits and the people watching the game have the power to take that moment away and really change the course of the game. And I, I really want to invest in that space and, and see what else we can bring out of that. Like, I want to start with that basic approach of let's open the door to these people being part of the game and, you know, find extra space for somebody who is watching a game to change what's happening in front of them and and be a part of of the game that's happening so in a sense i'm not just playing with myself and and the people at the table with me like i'm playing with the hundred or 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 thousands of people who are watching along
0: right and that expansion of the dialogue to include the audience i think is really really fascinating so I guess I will ask you in concrete instead of abstract terms then, what are some of the things that if people back this and start watching and participating in the stream, they can expect to be a part of that dialogue? How are you expecting to incorporate the audience into this? Uh,
1: So, like, I I, I think through the Kickstarter, I'm still attacking this problem through a very Uh, familiar channels like i am opening the door to people who back the kickstarter to send in suggestions uh for things that will appear in the dungeon dome like at the lower levels people can send in ideas for items ideas for what would happen uh if a critical hit happens stuff like that At higher levels, like I will be bringing in audience members as active collaborators for me. Like uh, one of the levels that sold out very quickly is uh, something I called the Dandelion Club. In one of the early matches that we ran for the Dungeon Dome, I had uh, my characters fight a monster that was a lich horse uh, who the audience actually voted to name Dandelion. And, you know, it was a beloved character. People had a lot of fun with the idea of a horse being a lich. But the Dandelion Club uh will uh, allow 5 People to personally like Skype in with me, you know, talk to me and design another celebrity monster like Dandelion to show up in the Dungeon Dome that will have unique abilities and uh, unique personality that I will be portraying as the GM. So like I'm active, like actively just taking their ideas and and putting their ideas into the game, which I, I think is still a very surface level uh, approach to audience collaboration. The other. thing things that i think are really interesting uh one suggestion that we got from people that they wanted to see in the dome was hunger game style like sponsoring of players to like give them items and things mm. so uh the box seat sponsor level which is also sold out uh is an opportunity for people to pay to become a character in the universe of the dungeon dome and these people will be rich merchants influential nobles pirates kings and queens, you know, people who have a lot of sway in that universe who will become their own character, and that character will then be able to make decisions that affect the Dungeon Dome. That could be granting a particular team an item or much needed piece of equipment uh, that could be calling for special stipulations to show up during Dungeon Dome matches. I'm excited to see what people are going to take on that role, because it's essentially Like in that, this is somebody who is portraying an NPC, but the mission that I've given that NPC is have a dramatic effect on the world, like uh, pursue an agenda that is your agenda, and you know you're not going to be fighting yourself in the dome. You're not going to be uh, going on the lower level storylines. Instead, you are very much up in the boxes, like controlling the meta of what unfolds in the dungeon dome as matches progress. Um, So it's like a different kind of character interaction like player interaction as a character than i've really experienced at the table like i've had people that i've been brought in as an npc to other people's games and i've had people sit in as npcs in my games but i i just feel like this is slightly different it's a different way uh for somebody to interact and right now there are no mechanics surrounding that and kind of what i'm hoping to find at the end of the experience is is some mechanical thing to go, okay, this is how you gamify that experience. This is how you create, uh, for lack of a better uh, term, like a character class for somebody in that role um, to manipulate the universe within the bounds of not destroying everyone else's
0: experience of what's happening. Absolutely. That's actually super interesting. I've heard people talk about engaging in that sort of high-level machination as a game-mastering exercise or as something that they do between sessions as part of the quote-unquote lonely fun of running
1: Ooh, a game lonely fun that's i i call that personal play uh that sounds a lot less sexually charged or you know what actually never mind it's as exactly as sexually charged as personal yeah it's play. exactly as sexually charged actually uh, but yeah like uh i i, I do like that term and, and that is one of the parts of the role-playing experience that i really like and i think not enough people talk about so
0: quinn thank you so much for talking about that yeah it's actually it's one of my favorite parts of things i'm usually thinking about some level of a game or a campaign and there's a lot that can be done there that is incredibly fun and that may or may not ever actually see the light of day as it were but with something like this having someone else come in and i guess bringing another participant into your lonely fun it gives you an interesting outlet for that especially in the way that you get to see people react to what's you've been doing in real time later on down the line that's very very exciting
1: yeah, I, I like I I know that it's going to mess up like not the vision that I have for the game itself because like I've included the desire for these like wild x factors to be a part of the story but i am excited to see how it changes things and like how i as a gm will have to react and where the social boundary is going to be created there for this sort of like higher level players ability to change what's happening on on the field itself that's what is otherwise a fairly standard combat
0: right right interesting So speaking of something like a standard combat, that actually brings me to another one of the questions that I had, which was you recently put on a stream where you did a hell in the cell type match. And one of the questions that I got when I asked Twitter if they had anything that they wanted to know was if you would be borrowing anything more like Royal Rumble or MITB (laughs) matches Personally, I'm not very familiar with wrestling, so I'm assuming that might mean money in the box? Uh, I believe that means money in the box. Cool. It took me about seven hours to get there, but I'm glad that I got it. (laughs) So, yeah, tell me about match types. I I do plan on picking up on other wrestling tropes.
1: I kind of want to play with as many wrestling tropes as I can to like see if they can be a base level inspiration for something that will appear in the Dungeon Dome. And my idea or approach to it essentially is that I want to take something that is familiar from wrestling and make it super weird and different in the context of a fantasy universe Um, because Hell in the Cell is an interesting format for people to watch as a wrestling match because it changes the way the fight Mm -hmm. is happening. You know, they put a cage around the arena and there becomes like a lot of uh, climbing and acrobatics that are now attached to the match in a way that wouldn't normally be present. If I was simply lowering a cage into my fantasy space for the Dungeon Dome, it wouldn't make things that much more interesting.
0: Yeah, a wizard's not worried about a cage, really.
1: Yeah, it's confining movement to a smaller space. Like, it's, it's taking away options whereas hell in the cell in wrestling adds options to the game so our hell in the cell match for dungeon dome is that demons have uh, inflicted a magical curse on onto one of the players. And so you drop four people down in a three versus one match where one of the players is a monster and three of the players are just normal players, but they don't know who is who at the start of the match. And over the course of six rounds, one of those players is going to undergo an increasingly noticeable transformation until they are a full-fledged monster uh, with the power to take on the rest of the party. So it's like, if you're a wrestling person you go oh yeah hell in the cell i know what hell in the cell is and in the dungeon dome it is very very different it is sort of like a mashup of social deduction games like werewolf and dungeons and dragons where you still have the base level D combat imperative at the end of the match like one person or you know one group of people is going to be victorious and the other group of people is going to be dead but the way that we arrive at that conclusion is much different than a traditional setup Mm -hmm. so it's like silly weird cartoonish parody ideas like like that hell in the cell that is just a literal pun on what is happening in uh, the fiction itself but like i i think that is the space that dungeon dome matches that i want them to live like i want to draw on wrestling as an inspiration to create take the familiar and make it unfamiliar in the dungeon dome and i want to use those match like types as prompts for myself to change the way combat works in dnd because there are death matches in the dungeon dome that are pretty straightforward that you know two teams will enter and one team will walk out victorious but the Dungeon Dome itself provides the context that we can change a normal conflict, a normal martial conflict in Dungeons and Dragons, where killing the other team, killing somebody else and whittling away their hit points doesn't have to be the only type of interaction that we have in the Dungeon Dome. There are all sorts of competitions that we can draw on. The Dungeon Dome can be a little bit Olympic in, in certain senses and take mechanics that exist within D&D and, and put them in a new context for us to enjoy. So, yeah, I want to start with those tropes that were familiar uh, both in wrestling and in role playing and try and turn them on their head, use the context of the Dungeon Dome to change the way we experience them.
0: Interesting. A lot of that manipulation of mechanics or expectations is something that I am also currently experimenting and dealing with right now as I run the Gamma Crawl X campaign for yes. System Mastery podcast. So I actually wanted to take a minute to be a little bit selfish and talk about comparing some notes and some differences in our approach and just interesting points of comparison in achieving narrative agendas that we might have, and in the ways that we're choosing to engage with this as something that is going toward an audience.
1: Absolutely. I'm very excited. This is, I think, the part of the interview that I've been most excited about, because uh, it it is so neat to me that Uh, you have like a kind of adjacent format. Again, we're, we're, we're taking the same premise. Um, but you have, I think, uh, the luxury and the benefit of getting to follow one team. So you can make, uh, this one group's experience like super, super cool. And I have to essentially take my friends and make
0: them action figures and throw them at each other. And that's actually interesting, because I was experiencing a little bit of envy in as much as your groups, usually when you're having matches, you've got teams, and those teams can play off of each Mm -hmm. other, whereas running through something like Gamma Crawl, where I am presenting something that is more of a dungeon with uh, a particular personality who is organizing and running the dungeon the the dj that means that i have to do a lot of things like environmental characterization or more distal forms of building up characters and relationships because these three people like the team that we're following they don't get a lot of these head-to-head opportunities to build deeper relationships or to have these more deep-seated conflicts unless that's something that um there are opportunities to bake it in But it's not something that is, I think, offered as much on the face of the format that we're pursuing with that project.
1: That's true. I and mean, one of the bigger challenges, I, I guess, of that format, like I, I look at it uh, to go, yeah, it, it, it's, it would be great to have one team that I know this is the heroic team. And I just am responsible for like the emotional wavelength of, of this group going up and down. But like, you're absolutely right in that. Well, the only person they have to play off is you. So if there's going to be other like memorable or interesting personality that gets thrown in, all of that falls on your shoulders uh which is a, a lot more labor um from the gm perspective whereas i am sort of refereeing things and i get to sit back and like just add a little bit of chaos to each match that i see but
0: can let the players sort of like drive their own goals absolutely something else that i've been thinking about is you've got a lot of different match types and stuff which helps you offer a a level of difference in kind in what you're presenting and i've had to approach that myself looking at this project because i knew straight off the bat that were i to approach this having them essentially go from room to room Mm -hmm. and just having them fight instance of combat after instance of combat eventually that is going to lose interest with the audience Right, right even if you're trying really really hard no matter how much you are like I guess, mugging to the camera and playing up what is going on in a situation, people will get used to, I know you have these three powers, I know that you're going to use them, okay, can can you wrap this up? And so, I've done a couple of things to try to approach that. Some of it is adding a lot more variance and texture in matches. There was an episode that just came out where they were essentially in a giant birdcage, so... Their enemies had a lot more 3D space in which to move around, where the players had more restricted space, but I've also offered them more socially oriented encounters as well. Which it sounds like you've also looked at integrating in stuff like your Hell in the Cell match, where there's that active level of social deduction, so the tension that you're building in a fight... Or in a match isn't necessarily strictly falling on the role of who falls where in the initiative order or what have you, which I think is something that as actual play performers, is it's something that you learn you have to negotiate pretty quickly. A combat in and of itself is not interesting in the same way that it might be at a standard table
1: absolutely and like one of the things that i referenced when i was talking to war rocket ajax about this is um john rogers who uh the system mystery boys and i recorded uh an actual play with did the jackie chan adventures animated cartoon series and for that he got to talk to jackie chan about sort of like building the vision for that universe and and Jackie explained to him something that I think put words to ideas that I think Kat and I have been, you know, have had since we started running role playing games and I think is critical to understand uh, making a more entertaining game. And that is the idea of the fight line of there being a physical and emotional journey that plays out in front of a camera when you are creating a fight in a script or, you know, actually filming on a location. You can have a lot of really impressive uh, and interesting looking acrobatic stunt work, but... If what's happening doesn't make sense or doesn't flow in a way that is emotionally compelling to an audience, it doesn't matter. Like you can have the best martial artists in the world, but if the fight itself is not telling a story, then you've got nothing. So the context that you create around the fight and the areas of the fight that you look at, the way that's presented, the way you create a sense of space and a sense of an emotional journey throughout a single combat is critical to running a game. And so the, like, the ideas that you were just talking about, that, that is the fight line.
0: That is a lot more of a succinct way to describe it. I like that term of fight line because usually I'll say something like, in the absence of emotional stakes fights are not inherently interesting right right I'm but to have an actual term
1: <laughs> well i i guess leave it to uh the most talented physical comedian that ever lived to uh to show us how to do our jobs
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> who to thunk it um yeah another interesting difference i think that we have to play with between our projects is that when i do Uh, a run of Gamma Crawl, I do have a lot more time to environmentally build a a DJ. Mm -hmm. The people that they've chosen to hire to do things imparts things. The way that they've decided to construct a dungeon says things. There's a level of interactivity where they can sort of chime in and goad the, the players, which gives me sometimes like four or five episodes to really establish an arc with a concrete villain that you have to build up to. It makes pacing the narrative arc there very, very neat. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in how you've looked at some stuff like planning longer term narrative or emotional arcs in the context of the dungeon dome.
1: Uh, so uh, that is interesting. Uh, like there's so much there that I want to talk about um, to, to start uh, to answer the base question. Um, the dungeon dome uh, I, I, is something that I have plotted out to play out over 15 matches that will make up like 15 episodes of this Dungeon Dome season. Uh, there might be more that we actually see, uh, when I go to make the Dungeon Dome. Like I might just run more matches to, to color in areas and fill in details, but there are 15, uh, that I think cr- are critical conflicts that need to happen for the A and B plot that I want to play with to play out over the course of the dungeon dome. Mm-hmm. So long-term storytelling, what I have found is I want to create the context for future matches in earlier matches. Like I want particular mm-hmm alliances and rivalries uh, to be on screen in front of people so that when we get down to those championship matches, when we get down to a match where where people are actually playing to uh, have a title in the Dungeon Dome, I-, I want that to matter because we saw an earlier match where these people established or deepened a grudge. So my long-term planning is figuring out contexts for uh, my various teams to play off of each other and and propel each other into uh you know just more meaty and and interesting uh
0: areas of conflict interesting i I like that a lot, like I broached with that first point. I think that you are given a lot of interesting latitude or space to explore because you are often pitting either individual players or teams against each mm-hmm. other in a way that lets you explore that narrative space in a a somewhat different way where a lot of the sort of a B stories that I'm doing the, the through line of any given episode tends to be okay. Well, who is it that's been put in charge of this room and what is their deal while slowly establishing and building tension or cutting tension around the DJ of any given dungeon. And so I think the essential nature of the conflicts that were presented with in these two ostensibly similar projects is actually kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's like it's different in the coolest way. Like I look at your project and immediately when you describe the conflict and relationship that they're going to have with uh, their DJ, the first thing I think of is the prisoner. Oh, and, yeah. And the role of number two uh, sort of lording over the village in their own particular way. And this, I am so excited about the narrative space that you are playing with in there. Um, for that reason, you have like the best of, uh, monster of the week and the best of like big bad evil villain, like mixed together and that character archetype that our heroes may never see face to face. They, they might. They might, they like for, I, I guess likely what I would anticipate for most of these DJs is they'll never see the DJ. Uh, the DJ will like harass them. And then once the dungeon is finished, like that's it and the fact that you have yes. a deep conflict story playing out mostly in a mental emotional space between your players and uh this you know nemesis that they have in the dj is just so cool
0: i was going to describe the difference in our projects using some like older narrative conflict terms where you are very much telling man versus man stories mm-hmm. and in a way Gamma crawl presents itself as a man versus god conflict.
1: Yes. I, I- I, and, you know, for, I think both of us, like, have, uh, the element of man versus nature, too, because, like, we, the dungeon yes. dome is its own living thing. It is not just a, a venue for fights to take place. It's full of deadly traps. And for Xcrawl, mm-hmm. like, you have the same space, too. Like, they're in a dungeon. That is, that is something that has always existed in D and D and driven it, is the fact that you are in a weird building that wants to kill you is is something that is so neat about the dungeon dome and you get that intentional uh like aspect of having the dj and sort of also random nonsense of the dungeon like the unintentional uh force of nature that is a dungeon and what it means
0: right and i'm really really excited about that especially because there is a lot of wackiness that is inherent to gamma world as a system It tends to present itself as a very, very silly game, (laughs) and I love that. When we sat down to roll up characters, I was so happy to see (laughs) the insane spread that we had, but that also means that I have to make considerations for, like, what does a dungeon look like in a world where your next participant is as likely to be um, a great old one stuffed inside of a toy tank? Yeah! Yeah! As it is that they're just like a human man.
1: Well, I mean, that's one of the questions that I have for you, Quinn, is what approach are you taking to providing an emotional journey for a Lovecraftian horror stuffed inside a tank?
0: How, that that's is, a challenge. <laughs> well, the thing is, Jeff has been incredibly giving so far because he realizes Hugo will never leave the tank. Like, Yugo can't escape. <laughs> it's the thing he most wants, but he can't have it. While reconciling that with the fact that because of the way that rolling out the stats worked, Yugo is the party face. <laughs> he is an incredibly charming Cthuloid monster stuffed in a toy tank. So, as we've been going on, his character arc has actually been about transcending his role as a participant in Gamma Crawl. And sort of working on the the networking required to ascend to the level of DJ. <laughs> okay, cool. Which is interesting because we we made some interesting choices early on the way that the improvisational nature of games can that's centered around things like is Gamma Crawl actually being streamed out live, or is it being s- presented as something that is done live? but is actually not in the sense of, like, reality television. Mm-hmm. And we ultimately adopted the latter, but that allows us to play with certain things like kayfabe, almost, where yes. there's a very, very acute awareness on account of the characters, and especially with Jeff and Hugo, They are presenting a persona, and there are these moments away from the cameras or underneath their breath when they get the chance... That they are communicating just as two career professionals, and it's it's a very interesting space that I wasn't expecting that we would explore, but here we are. I,
1: well, I'm so happy that you're exploring it because, like with the Dungeon Dome, because these are gladiators. Um, I, I think a lot of the players have approached the project with uh, less of a sense that, oh, my person is a performer. Um, their their characters are just face value the personality that they're taking into the dungeon dome like uh i think the two characters that uh immediately before we've even really started things that are most successful uh are the compass cats who are these Mm -hmm. you know big over the top sort of like courtly errol, errol flynn type heroes who represent like the best of the best of uh the nation that they come from and they are there uh for the honor of their queen and they're also the top military agents of the place that they come from and we did an episode uh on the one shot uh, podcast with those two characters sort of like outside the arena, immediately reacting to the events, uh, that unfolded in the match that we saw, uh, in the first dungeon dome. And outside the arena, they are those people. They're just still those people.